remaining in here. Uh, go ahead and have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll, we will be there soon. Um, baptism Sunday, it's a special Sunday. It's a thrill to hear the testimonies of those who are being baptized, how they proclaim their love for Christ, how they express what God has done in their lives, brought them to repentance, brought them to faith in Jesus. Baptism is a public declaration of one's faith in Jesus and that they now live here on earth as a believer in Christ. And so to kind of put that in context on where we're at, currently we're preaching through a series in the book of Matthew. And a couple of weeks ago we read that every Christian is called to be salt and light in this world. We are called to live in a distinct and unique way. And that's what these baptisms testify today. As they stood here and they declared their faith in Jesus, they're saying that they are now salt and light. They desire now to live as citizens of God's kingdom for God's glory on earth right now. And, and what's amazing is not only did we have four testimonies today, but we had so many baptisms, uh, we had to space them out. So we have four more in two more weeks. Uh, so just really neat what God is doing. Oh, that's okay. You can clap about that. That's pretty exciting. Um, so this morning, we're, we're in a section in the book of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. This is the largest of Jesus' Jesus's teachings. There's five major teachings in the book of Matthew by Jesus. This is his first and the largest one that he does. And in this sermon, chapters 5, 6, and 7, he gives instructions on what it looks like to live the Christian life. And so today, we're going to see how does the Christian use their money, use their earthly possessions for the very glory of God. In other words, how do we use our money as salt and light on this, earth, on this world? So the title this morning is Use Earthly Treasures for Heavenly Joy. And the main point is that we would show the supremacy of God's glory by using our money to store up treasure in heaven. And so what I'm going to do is read the text. So I want to invite you to stand with me. We stand at the reading of God's word. We believe God's word has come to us inspired by the Holy Spirit, profitable for our teaching, our correction, and to equip us so we would be ready to do all that God calls us to do. So we're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. This is Jesus speaking. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but... Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let me pray. Father, we, we come to you again today, now at the preaching of your word, and we come to you in the name of Jesus. And Father, I just ask, give us wisdom today. Give us humility today as we listen and as we think about your word. Remind us this morning of your greatness, of your goodness, of your grace, your abundant provision that you offer us. 
Convict us where we need conviction. Show us if and how we've been idolizing money, materialism. Father, I ask that you would free us this morning from such finite, fading pleasures. May we live with the hope of everlasting joy with you. Help us to properly properly understand money and how we use it as Christians. God, you have saved us that we'd be salt and light. And so, Father, I ask that by our spending, may we show the world that our treasure is in heaven and not on earth. God, bless the preaching of your word this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Um, First thing, I just want to start out with saying, when we talk about money, our first point is we just we must think carefully about how we use money. Oftentimes, I think we don't think. We just kind of go through routines. But the Bible tells us we need to think about how we use money. The Bible has a lot to say about money, all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation. In fact, it is said that Jesus taught more on money than most other Topics. In fact, if you go to many of his parables, they revolve around wealth and around riches. I think sometimes when we hear money, maybe this is you this morning, when we hear money in the church, all of a sudden we begin to cringe. But that's the wrong response. The Bible's instruction about money is for our good. Like, just think about what we've read so far, verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, he warns us about storing up Uh, earthly treasures. Why? Because they don't last. He says they'll be eaten up, they'll be destroyed, they'll fade away. But then he says, but we should should store up heavenly treasure. Why? Because it will last. So the Bible's teaching on money is not to rob us of joy, but, but to give us joy. It's to help us understand how we rightly use it for our good, for our everlasting joy. And so when we hear sermons and teachings on money we shouldn't cross our arms and and like in defense but rather we should lean in ready to listen knowing okay there's something here for my good and for my everlasting joy and so in our text today we're going to see jesus is is going to speak about money but not strictly only money in fact if you look at the last word in verse 24 most likely it's translated money in your bible but the actual word is, is mammon, and that would, that would stand for earthly possessions here on earth. And so Jesus is speaking, yes, about money and everything else. So your bank account, your wallet, your house, and all materialism in this world. So the, today I'm going to use the word money as like shorthand instead of saying money, materialism, bank account wallet, and everything else. I'm just going to use money. So when you hear money, think everything. And that's going to be my shorthand to refer to materialism in this world. And the first thing, when we begin to think rightly about money, is that we need to realize money is dangerous. And all of a sudden we go, okay, here we go. Now we're into the dangers and problems of money. But, but we need to think carefully about this because God's scripture gives us many, many warnings and danger signs about money. Let me give a few examples. Matthew 19, verse 23 and 24. This is what Jesus says. He turns to his disciples and he says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person 
enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So his teaching's not hard here, right? It's pretty crystal clear. There's something about riches that make it hard to enter heaven. It's pretty clear. It's not hard to understand. There's something about riches that, that puts a barrier into us entering heaven. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. 1 Timothy 6, 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Let me just think. We have words like, like snare, ruin, and destruction. Those are meant to communicate something. Money is dangerous. Now, I think often what we do is we quickly go, okay, it's not money that's dangerous, right? It's the love of money that's dangerous. Let's be clear. Money's neutral, right? Is it? I think that's naive. And I think that's immature to think that way. Like just, let me just give an illustration here. Imagine you're going to someone's house tonight for a meal. You're going over to their house, and on the way there, you're, you're, you're sitting there with your wife, and you're like, I don't really want to go to these people's house tonight. I just want to stay home. Have you ever felt like that? Going to someone's house, you know it's the right thing to do. I don't really want to go. And in fact, then you turn and you say, I'm not even hungry. Like this is pointless. I don't want to be there. I don't even like these people, and I'm not hungry. Why am I going to these people's house? But you arrive at the house, ring the doorbell, you're still kind of just grumpy. The door opens, and as you cross the threshold, all of a sudden your nostrils are filled with the smell of perfectly seasoned, smoked, seared steak. And your mouth instantly begins to water. And now you're thinking, this is the only place I want to be. <laughs> Moments before, I'm not hungry, but now in the presence of steak, I'm hungry and I want steak. I love these people. They're my favorite people. I can't wait to sit and eat steak. All I'm thinking of steak, all I see is steak, all I want is steak. Simply being in the presence of steak has increased your desire and love for steak. That's what money does. Don't think that money has no effect on you in and of itself. If we think that we can, we can touch money and think about money and spend money and surround ourselves with money and it has no effect on us, then we're, we're very, very deceived at that moment. Jesus says it's hard for a rich person to come into the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say it's hard because a rich person loves money. No, it's hard because a rich person is surrounded by money and it's all over the place and he sees it and he touches it and it's everywhere in his life. And so there's something about that that makes it hard to enter the kingdom of heaven. The rich young ruler proves this to us. He walks up to Jesus in Matthew 19. Feel free to go read that later. He walks up to Jesus and he says, I want to be saved. What must I do to have eternal life? Don't you wish your friends would ask you that? You're like, all right, 
here's the Romans road, three steps, whatever it is. Like, that's the amazing question, right, that we all want. Because if they only ask that, we can give them the answer and surely they'll be saved. And so the, man, the rich man comes, he says, what must I do to be saved? Jesus, of course, perfectly sees this man, his heart, everything within him. He knows that he idolizes money. And so he, sell, he says, sell everything that you have and come follow me. And you will have eternal life. But what happens? What does the man do? He walks away. Why? Jesus tells us. Because he loved money more. He loved money more. He saw his earthly possessions. He saw everything he has. And even though infinite joy, infinite heavenly riches are being offered, he looks at what he has and says, I want this more. Walks away from salvation. Hear this. If we're not careful with how we think about money, then it will keep us from Jesus or it will pull us away from the faith that we either become ineffective or possibly even prove that we are apostates. There's a big danger with money. So why is it so dangerous? This brings us to the second point. Why is it so dangerous? Number one, we need to think carefully. Number two, because how we use money reveals who we worship. John Piper said it really well in his book. He wrote a book, What Jesus Demands of the World. He tries to unpack all the commands of Jesus in this book. He says this, So the reason money is so crucial for Jesus is that across all cultures and all ages, it represents the alternative to God as the treasure of our hearts and therefore the object of our worship. The reason money is so dangerous is that it wants to steal the worship that God alone deserves. So we're talking idolatry here. We're talking worship here. What is most important in our life. And this is why whether you are rich or poor, in our sinfulness, we crave what money promises. So it doesn't matter if you're sitting here going, well, I'm rich, so this is a struggle. Or if you're sitting here going, we're poor, well, I obviously don't have this struggle. No, because we crave in our sinfulness what money promises. So you can have money or not have money, but we struggle with this right here. And so Jesus actually makes this point twice in our text. So let me give them to you. Verse 21, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is reveals your worship. So Jesus' meaning for us to ask the question is, is your heart on earthly treasures, the things that fade, the things that won't last? Or is it on heavenly treasures? So I, I urge you to consider What are you fixated on? What are you most concerned about as you go throughout your week, as you go throughout each day? Are you thinking heavenly treasure? Are you thinking earthly treasure? What satisfies your heart? If you could have whatever you wanted right now, what would that be? Would it be heavenly treasure or would it just, would it be something here on earth? Would it be more stuff? Whatever that is. Do you treasure God and the blessings that he bestows on you? Or do you treasure your car and your clothes and stuff? What is your heart fixated on? Where your heart is is what you worship. That's the first verse he gets. Second verse, he says in verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Now, Now, don't think of a guy with two jobs. 
This would be the wrong type of application of that. A guy with two jobs can please two employers. But think what Jesus is actually communicating here. First century slave who, who works for his master. And Jesus is saying, look, a slave serves his master, and you can't be devoted to two masters at the same time. You can't simultaneously please two people with every aspect of your life at all times. You're, you're going to have to choose which one you love, which one you hate. And that's what Jesus is saying. You, verse 24, you cannot serve both God and money. So choose today whom you will serve. Will it be God or will it be money? And you might say, well, well what does it mean to serve money? Like, where is he getting at there? I think if we stay within the slave illustration, it makes sense. So, so this is a, a, a clue. When, when you're given a text, like when Jesus gives an illustration and then he's applying that, don't forget what he's just said. So stay within the slave illustration. A slave serves his master, and the master will provide for all the slave's needs. Make sense? In the first century, oftentimes you, you, you would even sell yourself into slavery. So don't just think like American slavery and stuff like that here. It's different to a degree back there. But you would, you would work for your master and he would provide everything that you needed. So you serve your master with the intent that he will provide for you. So if we now apply that to what does it look like to serve money, to serve money means to trust that money will provide for all your needs, your comfort your safety, your security, your happiness. You look to money to provide your acceptance, your status, your worth in this world. Makes sense in that context, right? You serve money. Do you look for money to provide or do you, do you serve God? Do you look for God to provide? To serve money is not just to love money, but get this, it's to love what it promises. You might be here today and you're like, well, I, I don't really care about my actual car, my house, or the clothes. But, but do you love what they promise? What they offer you? The comfort they provide? The status that they signify? Do you love what they, they give? The promises that they make to you? And if we're honest with ourselves, we're all tempted to serve money. There's no one here who has not at some point and is not to some degree serving money. And technology has only made this more difficult. We have our phones, which phones are great, love, love cell phones, and yet they can bombard us 24-7 with everything that the world says we need. We think if we have better house, better job, more money, we'll be happier. We see what others, ha what others have in either real life or in the digital world, and we think, I need that. I want that. And have you, have you realized it's really crazy what we become fixated on? Like, do you realize you can spend countless hours looking at different reviews on water bottles? Like, it's true. Or cell phones, or furniture, or clothes, or guns, or workout gear, or like a million other things. Like, have you ever just found, like, I just wasted the last, like, two hours checking out reviews on whatever? Like, we can do that so easily. And all of a sudden, during every spare moment of our day, we find ourselves with a phone in our hand. And what are we doing? We're looking at Facebook. We're looking at Instagram. We're looking at Amazon. And we're just looking at stuff, 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 stuff. And we're saying, but at least I don't love it, so therefore I'm okay, right? But we're surrounded by it. We're thinking about it. We're consumed by it. We're fixated on it. 
And we very well might be idolizing it and worshiping it. Many of you probably right now have things sitting in your Amazon cart, ready to buy, that you're trusting will bring you happiness and comfort. You probably are, right? If I have this, it'll be better. I finally needed this shirt. I need this thing. If I have this, finally, everything will work. Everything will look better. My neighbors will respect me. I mean, whatever it is, we have these things because we want not only themselves, but what they promise. And the more you look at it, the more you think you need it, the more you want it, and the more you're consumed by it. Do not just think you can be mere money and it has no effect on you. But know this. And this is what Jesus wants to know. The things of this world cannot satisfy you. And they cannot keep the promises that they make. That's what Jesus wants us to know here. In fact, let me give an example from Luke chapter 12. Similar context. Here we're given a story about another man. This is starting in verse 16 through 21 in Luke 12. Jesus, he tells them a parable, and he says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for you in heaven. Laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose who's will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This man, I mean, this is the American dream, Right? He literally has everything, and he has to have barns and bigger barns to store all of it. He has so much that he builds bigger barns, and because of his great money, remember, we love not only money, but what it promises. He thinks he's safe, secure, comfortable, and happy. That's what he is, right? Soul, relax, eat, drink, I have everything I need. I am in control. I am content. I have done what I need. My bins are full. What can life do to me now? And at that moment, though, he dies. And what good are those things at this moment? He's rich on earth, but as the last words say, you lay up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. He's rich on earth and poor in God. Fool. Fool to think that we can find our joy and our happiness and our satisfaction and our pleasure in finite, fading things here on earth. Money fixates our eyes on the immediate at the expense of that which is most important. Money says get all you want now. Money says your immediate present satisfaction is what is most important but trusting in money is like is like filling a bucket of water that has a leak yes it does hold water money will provide things for you right but just like a bucket of water with a leak it won't last you can fill it up it'll hold it but it's draining you can trust in money and it will provide a level of satisfaction 
but it fades and it will not last. So that's the danger of money. That's what, that's what God is wanting us to see here. So the question then is, we've been saved to be salt and light. So how do we use money the right way? How do we use our money so that we're not poor towards God? How do we use our money so that we have treasure in heaven? And that brings us to the last point. We use our money to show that our everlasting joy is in heaven. So quick reminder, let's come back to context of the entire Sermon on the Mount. What is Jesus teaching about? Do you remember how it begins? Blessed, 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 blessed. There's these eight blessed statements. Those who believe in Christ, who follow him, are blessed. And then he says, you're salt and light in the world. And he says, obey my commands. That's the flow of how the Sermon on the Mount opens. And then Jesus begins to describe the Christian life. And over the last couple chapters and sermons, we've tried to unpack those messages. And so now he's zeroing in on possessions. How do we use our possessions as a Christian, as salt and light, as a citizen of God's heavenly kingdom, not a citizen of earth? So that's what we have to remind ourselves as we're coming into this. This is why in verse 20, Jesus says to to use our money for heavenly treasures. And, And notice when Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, he gives a command but he doesn't stop right there. Like he could, right? He could have just said, don't lay it for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay it for yourselves treasures in heaven. I mean, he's, he's the king. He doesn't need to explain himself, right? He could have just given us the command. But he does explain himself. He does tell us why the command is good. He tells us why we should want to follow the command. Why we should want to obey it. So that's what he shows us. And notice what he says. Heavenly treasures are superior to earthly treasures. Because because earthly treasures fade, they break, they fall apart, and they can get stolen. Your heavenly treasure is secure in Christ forever. It's unfading. It's unbreakable. So Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures there. He's not trying to rob us of joy. He's not saying, don't have any money because I want you to have no joy on earth. He says, <coughs> think about money so you have maximum joy for all of eternity in heaven. So two questions we need to ask. What is heavenly treasure, and how do we store up heavenly treasure? So let's begin. What is heavenly treasure? Let's come back to the analogy. If serving money is trusting money, loving money, delighting in money, and looking forward to all that money provides, if that's what serving money is, then serving God is trusting in God, loving God, delighting in God, looking forward to everlasting life with God and all that God provides for us. That's heavenly treasure. Heavenly treasure is everlasting joy with God. Heavenly treasure. So Jesus is saying, lay up heavenly treasure. Live in such a way now that you have maximum joy in heaven. And and it appears... That how we live on earth impacts the intensity and degree of our everlasting joy and satisfaction in God. Do you get that? It appears what he's saying, and we could go to other texts, but what he is saying is how we live on earth today 
impacts the intensity and degree of our everlasting joy and satisfaction with God. In fact, all throughout the sermon, Jesus has been saying, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There's a reward in them. He could just say, live this way because you will enter the kingdom of heaven. He could just say that. And we could say, well, by the way that I, I spend my money, that gives evidence of my faith in God, and that I will enter heaven. That will be true, or that is true. But Jesus says, lay up treasures in heaven. Not just enter heaven, but it seems like there's an abundance that's awaiting for us. And how we live now impacts the degree and the intensity of the joy of the treasure that we have in heaven. And he's been talking about this all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. A couple of illustrations. Chapter 5, verse 12. Rejoice in persecution. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven. Not because you'll be in heaven, but your reward is great in heaven. Chapter 5, 46. Love your enemies and God will reward you. Chapter 6, verse 4. Humbly give to the poor and God will reward you. Chapter 6, verse 6. Pray humbly and God will reward you. He doesn't just say, and you'll enter. There's reward. He gives motivation. Chapter 6, verse 18. Fast, and God will reward you. Reward you. Throughout the sermon, Jesus is calling us to live in a particular way to maximize everlasting pleasure in God. That's what he's calling us to live. So how we use earthly treasures on earth has an everlasting impact on the joy we have in God, with God, for all eternity. So the question really is, so how do, I, how do I live that way? How do we store up heavenly treasure? How do we live in such a way with our possessions, with our money here on earth, that we have maximum joy for all of eternity with God? And there's many texts that we could look at, but I think one of the clearest texts is 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19. So this is what I want us to, to look at this passage. I think it's up on the screen. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19. He says, as for the rich in the present age. Now, he's talking to the church. So just real quick, as for the rich, as for Christians who are rich, it's not wrong to have money. But we do need to be very careful with it. There are Christians who will have more. So he's specifically addressing them right here. So don't think, oh, man, we have money, so certainly we just have to get rid of everything, or that's wrong in and of itself. No, God's not against these riches, but we do have to be very careful with how we think about them. So Paul's now giving instruction, especially to those who are rich. How do we use this money? As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, do you, get, do you get the connection? Do good, rich in good works, generous, ready to share. Thus, you are storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that it may take hold of that which is truly life. Do you see the connection here? Don't set your hope on earthly riches. Why? Because that hope's not certain. Again, this is why we, we shouldn't ever cross our arms when, oh, it's in our message on, on money. 
just there to take away joy. No. The, the message is how do we maximize joy? How do we think about money in such a way we use it? Not just for finite, fading pleasures here on earth, but for everlasting, infinite joy with God. The rich guy who builds bigger barns proves that truth, or that proves that setting hope on earthly riches is uncertain. He proves that. So we're not to fall into that lie. So Paul says, don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. Rather, put your hope in God. Why? Because it says, he will richly provide us with everything to enjoy. Do you believe that? God will provide you richly with everything you need to enjoy. Do you see the promise? God's promise to provide everything we need is meant to free us from looking toward money to be our pleasure and satisfaction so we can be free to be generous with our money. That's what the promise is there for. God's promises, not only to provide for us now, but get this, but in everlasting also. Look at verse 19. He promises future riches, the storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. This is very similar to what Jesus says in chapter 6. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where they will not rust, where no moth will eat it. So how do we live as salt and light in this world? We don't serve money. We don't trust money to meet our needs. We trust in God. We trust in the fact that if God gave his one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross, so we could be forgiven, so we could be redeemed, so we could be adopted, and live with him forever, then he will provide for our every one of our daily needs. We place our hope on the certainty of God. We know that God is the one who provides for our needs. So yes, we have money, we buy clothes, we buy food, we do those things, but not because I'm trusting in the, in the money to do it, because I'm trusting in God to provide for those things. The evidence that our hope is in God and not in money is by freely giving away money and being generous with everything we have here on earth. So I ask you, are, are you generous with money? Remember, money stands for, for everything, with your materialism. The evidence that we trust in God and delight in him is that we're not consumed with money and materialism. We show the world the immeasurable worth and joy of God by generously sharing and giving away our earthly treasures. That's how we live as salt and light. The world says we need these things. These things define us. And if I have this, I'm safe, I'm secure, I'm successful, I'm comfortable. But we as Christians say, no, we live this way. And we put all of our hope in God, knowing he will provide all that we need. Because our hope and our joy and our assurance and our safety and our security is not in stuff, but in Christ. That's how we live as salt and light. And this isn't begrudging generosity. I give it away, so hopefully I have stuff later. We have the promises so we would joyfully and willingly and generously give away these things because we have unbreakable, unfading, everlasting joy in heaven. This isn't begrudging. We joyfully give these things away because we look forward not to the next five years or ten years, 
But the next 50 billion years that we're going to be with God in heaven, experiencing perfect maximum joy with him. So a couple of things to think about as we close. Does your current spending reveal that God is your treasure or that you treasure the things of earth? Just think about that. Does, it, does your current spending reveal God is your treasure or things of your earth your treasure? Are you spending your money as salt and light in this world? Something to wrestle with, something to consider. Do you really believe that God is your good heavenly father who will provide for all your needs? If you don't believe that, you won't be generous now. And I imagine that as we, as we talk about being generous and giving things away and looking for, for eternal, everlasting joy and not in the immediate pleasures of materialism. For some of us, that, that makes us feel kind of anxious. I don't know how to do that. You're surrounded by debt. You're just surrounded by, I need these things and I don't make much money. How can I possibly be generous? So, so two things I would just say. Number one, remember the cross. Come back to the cross always. Remember what God has done for us by giving his son that he would come and die for us so you could be saved, so you could have everlasting life with him. And Romans 8.32 says that if God did this great thing by the giving of his son, will he not also now give you grace for everything else you need in your life? Come back to that. If God was willing to give his son, do the infinite great, will he not make sure you have food and clothing and the things that you need. And I urge us, we, we all need to repent here. So there's no one here that we just go, man, this money thing, check. I'm good to go. Like I conquered that one and it has no appeal to me at all. We're all going to struggle with that for the rest of our lives here on earth. And so I urge you to repent of wrestling with that, of of focusing and fixating on money more than you should. I urge you to remember that every time you're becoming fixated on money, you're doubting the goodness of God as your father and that he'll provide all the grace that you need. I would say, secondly, if you're wrestling with, with a little bit of anxiety as we talk about generously giving, that's exactly what Jesus is expecting you to do, which is why verses 25 to 32 or 33 unpack how God provides for us, so therefore we don't need to be anxious. So the next sermon that we're going to be in Matthew, so in two weeks, we're going to take a break next week. Ozon's going to be here, so I know that'll be, I know, everyone's like, oh, great, Ozon's here. I love that you guys love Ozon. Uh, so in two weeks, though, we're going to come back and answer, so how do we give generously and not be anxious? That's exactly what God is expecting us to be at in our minds at this moment. So if that's you, Jesus already knows that's in your heart, which is why he gave this passage and why he's going to show us his grace and his goodness to meet all of our needs. Lastly, I ask you to consider, do you want maximum joy with God for all of eternity? God promises us infinite riches with him forever. Do you want that? Do you desire that? If so, then I, I urge you, begin wrestling with, before buying something, how important will this be in five years? 
in 15 years, in 50 years, in 50 billion years. Begin wrestling through with, with what we're pursuing here on earth. At one, in one sense, everything feels like we need it, right? But we probably don't have as many needs as we think. We probably have a few needs and a lot of wants. But the more we're consumed with materialism, the more we need everything. So we need to rightly think about it. We need to know that money is dangerous. So we need to wrestle. Am I having a kingdom perspective on this? Am I approaching this as a citizen of God's kingdom who will dwell with God forever? Am I looking forward to everlasting joy with God in heaven? Or am I simply just pursuing what I need at this moment or what I think I need? We must wrestle with those questions. Let us place our hope, our joy, and our confidence in the God who gave his son so we could be with him forever. Let us show the supremacy of God's glory by using our money to store up everlasting treasure in heaven. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, our Father, we, we praise you this morning. And God, I, I thank you for this text that, Lord, it feels like it steps on our toes and, and it feels like it, it presses in on us and yet it's so good for us. Lord, this teaching is not meant to rob us of joy, but is meant to maximize our joy. Lord, I pray that as, as we have heard your text and your words this morning, that, Lord, that you would bring about conviction where it needs to be, that we would repent of areas that we are looking towards money and serving money for the hope that it will provide for us rather than trusting in you. And Lord, I pray that we take great, great, great joy in generously giving of the things that we have, the things that you have blessed us with, knowing that we are laying up treasure in heaven. God, may we count you of unsurpassable worth that we gladly and joyfully give away the things of earth because we look forward to everlasting life with you. May we be salt and light in how we handle our money and our possessions. Father, we love you and we praise you. In your son's name, Jesus, amen.